Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus. Do life together, get in the game and leave a legacy. If this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith, subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it too. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. So, we are continuing today our series, Jesus On, where we are looking at some of the most controversial topics within our day. Some things like like sex, love, greatness, marriage. Last week we talked about privilege. We're going to be talking about money. Uh, But today we're going to be looking at politics, Jesus On Politics. Uh, And really, too, the reason we're doing this series is not to stir the pot, is not to further divide our country or further divide our people or further divide us, right? That, that's not my, my goal was to stir the pot and do that. My goal with this series, because what I've seen is that so many times with some, of, uh, uh, with some of these hot button issues and some of these hot button buzzwords within our culture, we can actually be so shaped and formed by what the culture is feeding us and telling us what we should think and what we should believe that even as Christians, we can actually forget what Jesus said. Totally forget what, what Jesus said. This was reminded to me of whenever we were speaking about, it was maybe three, three weeks back in church. Um, we were talking about leaving a legacy and I simply, you know, at the in-person services, asked the crowd, who are some people in your life or that you have seen in our culture leave a legacy? And they responded back, MLK, Mother Teresa, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, all of these people, names, but no one said Jesus. <laughs> no one actually said, you know what? Jesus has left a legacy in our world. It was almost as if they completely forgot who the center of all of this is, and that's Jesus. And really, I, th- I think that just shows, here's the thing, right? I'm not bashing them, but I think it shows that sometimes we can almost forget about Jesus. And that's what this whole series is for. We want to point you to Jesus. That's the point of a pastor. The point of the church is to point you to Jesus and say, don't just go by what the culture tells you you should think or what the culture tries to shape you and form you to think. Go and let's see what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And we're going to look at what Jesus said about certain things. Like I said, last week we talked about privilege. This week we're going to talk about the shark-infested waters of politics. Politics. Just want to be candid with you. Um, I tried to write notes down for this, and I did write some, but you know I've got them here. But at the same time, a lot of what I'm what I'm going to say today is going to be from my heart, because when it comes to politics and Jesus, I don't think nothing has grieved my heart more than how politics have been a part of Jesus's followers, and from just what I've seen, especially the past year or two or three. Or four, I've lost count now, but it has grieved me so much. Not only the people within our church, but the people outside of our church and how much division it's caused and how much pain it's caused and how much hate it's caused and how much canceling it's caused. It, I, don't think, I think we can all say that we are in a politically divided time. It's dividing friends and family and coworkers, people that go to the same church. It is a politically charged time. And frankly, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, it is a dumpster fire, but it is grieving 
my heart. If you feel the same way, you just, just put a fire emoji in the comment section there and let me know if you think the politics is a dumpster fire. But here's right, just a few small examples for you of, of how this has played itself out. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching the vice presidential debate and there was a moment in time during, 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 during that debate that a fly flew, flew in and landed on Vice President Pence's head. And it just sat there. And, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I was scratching my screen thinking that it was like fake or thinking that it wasn't real or something like that when the whole time it was real. And the fly was just sitting in Vice President Pence's hair for the longest time. And me, I'm just like, yo, I hate flies. I can't stand flies. Fly. I'm, I'm, I mean, I hate flies, right? And I, I was just amazed that Pence could sit there with a fly in his head and not do anything of, about it. I thought it was funny. I was like, man, what's that fly doing? Laying, laying eggs or something? Like, yeah, I mean, I just thought it was, I just thought it was funny. So I went on Facebook, just said, hey, did anyone else see that, see that fly? And little did I know that I would spark Flygate by posting that. <laughs> Over the next 24 hours, that thread turned into memes, conversations about killing babies, conversation about political parties, conversation about how, about how hypocritical Christians are, where it got to the point in this thread, a woman that just moved from this area that was a part of our church said something to the effect of, I'm glad that I don't go to Lifehouse now knowing what kind of people are there and how judgmental they are. And, and, and this literally all morphed from me just sharing the fact that I thought it was funny that there was a fly in the dude's head for a couple minutes. We are in politically charged times. Another example Somebody that I, that, you know, that I personally look up to and, and follow on social was Bishop T.D. Jakes. Um, I love his, his preaching, what God's done through him is awesome, amazing, and, um, and he's someone that I follow. And a couple weeks back, he posted a picture when, when President Trump and the First Lady got diagnosed with COVID. Bishop, Bishop Jakes put a picture on his Instagram feed uh, of President Trump and the First Lady and and saying, saying that he was praying for him. You, we're gonna actually show this to you right now. You, you can actually see this, see this post. And it was basically saying, hey, this isn't a political post. Someone's sick and just want to let you know we're obeying, we're obeying scripture and praying for those in authority. And you know, it, just, it was just him saying, hey, we're praying for the president and, his, and the first lady. And from there, the comments started rolling in. Now let me share with you what some of those comments were. You know, one guy said, I'm not praying for him. Let God do, do his will. LOL. <laughs> you know, some, some, somebody else said, with all due respect, we should have been praying that the Lord changed his heart in wicked ways. You reap what you sow. Right, right below that, someone said, I'm sorry, Bishop, but we question mark. Right? Someone else said, Bishop, I love you, but let's slow down. Blessings come in different shapes and different forms. And I think we know what he was saying by that. Um, someone else said, but I'm not sad, Bishop. Right? I'm not sad, Bishop. Um, some, some, somebody else said, I will not pray for this man. 
<laughs> let God do his will. Um, and then someone else says, some of y'all are some sad, poor excuses for a Christian. How can you say that you believe and have faith in God, but have not, but not have compassion for you, fellow man or woman? I mean, you can just feel and sense the loadedness of politics. And you've been sensing it and you have been feeling it. I have no doubt. Yeah, I have no doubt. But honestly, we can see that from that from these from these two examples, from these two moments, we live in politically charged times where there is so much division and frankly it's ugly and it's grieving my heart. It's grieving my heart because this has dramatically affected Lifehouse Church. And I'm sure not just our church, but your family, your friends, your co-workers, and so many other areas. You know, it's crazy to think that even within our church, some people will say, if you vote for Joe Biden, you're a baby killer. Some people will say, if you vote for Donald Trump, you're racist. And if you vote for Joe Jorgensen, what are you doing? Your vote does not matter. My heart grieves that, that even knowing within Lifehouse Church, we've seen, we've seen friendships lost, brothers and sisters in Christ divided over the issue of politics. And we are a diverse church. We have people voting for different reasons on different sides because they've got different perspectives and different experiences in life. I have friends and even leaders within this church that will vote differently for different reasons. So what the heck do we do with all of this division over politics? Which way do we go? Where, where do we go? And that's what I pray to help with today. But honestly, I feel helpless so I'm going to give you what, what I got. I've got notes, but like I said, mainly I'm going to speak from my, from, from my heart today as Pastor John, and I just pray that we can somehow move forward in, in this fog and work towards Jesus together and ultimately say, what does Jesus say and what did Jesus do about politics? So the thing is this, right? I think most Christians can fall into one of two extremes when it comes to politics. you got those overindulged and those... And, and those that are under-involved. Where you have got some people that think if we get the right person in office, our problems will be fixed. You, the utopia we've all been longing for will finally be here. They view politics as being the savior and in some ways think that God will rule through government. The other side can think, why does it matter? The world sucks. It's broken. So why should I be involved at all in something that is totally broken? It's stressful. I don't like it. I'm staying out of it. They view politics as pointless or they just don't want to get involved. But the truth is this, right? Both of those extremes, both of those sides are not God's best. Why? Because both of those ways of thinking are filled with sin, right? And sin is something we talk about our church at a whole lot. Why? Because sin since Genesis 3, since the fall of mankind, sin has infiltrated all areas of the world, including people, including systems, and one of those systems is, is politics. But the thing about sin, we, I think sometimes we always think of sin as what you do, and we don't always think about it that sin isn't just what you do, sin is also what you don't do. Okay, And the way that we would say this is the sin of commission, what you do, and the sin of omission, what you don't do. And when it comes to politics and when it comes to these two extremes, I think we can actually apply the sin of commission and the sin of, of omission to these extremes where you've got one side thinks, okay, if we make this change, everything will change. So, so, so they are 
militant about their party, their platform, and anyone that thinks differently is, is the devil. They insult, bash, they label different people, different levels of people. They lack compassion, empathy, grace, and ultimately love. Theirs is the sin of commission doing something they could not do. And that's what I would kind of like see those that see politics as being the savior. But then you've got the sin of what? Omission, where, where people think politics is difficult, so I'm just going to, to completely remove myself. And I don't think that that is right either. Why? Because the truth is this. Politics affect people, right? Polit politics determine policies, and policies affect people. And that is why politics and government in and of itself is not sin. It's not, it's, it's not bad. It's like so many other things in our culture. It is basically saying, how can we take it and not find, you know, and not treat it as being the savior, but not backing completely out of things, but using it to say, how can this be used for good to promote the well-being as much as possible of God's kingdom and God's justice in our world. Like I said, politics affects policies and policies affect people. And the Bible tells us again and again, a hundred different ways, people matter to God. And that is why politics can be used to bring justice or, in, or, or, or injustices. It can be used for human flourishing or for human pain. So the goal is not to see it as being the ultimate all all in all, but at the same time realizing that we're not called to throw ourselves away from it, but we are involved to get, to get in the process. Why? Because politics affects policies and policies affect people and God loves people. So it can be used, politics and government can be used as a way to love our neighbor and to love people well. What Jesus himself said, the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And so you can use, you can take a broken system something completely broken and ravaged by sin like politics and actually use it to love people well. So here's the thing, we don't want to be on those two extremes. So what is the way of Christians? In the book, Compassion and Conviction, which I would highly encourage you, we're going to show you the book, the, the book right now. The best book that I have read on Christian engagement in politics, how to think and act as Christians. You need to pick this book up and read it and consume it. It's so good. The best thing, it's only 100 pages, so you could probably get through it in maybe like two or three, two or three days, but it's so rich, it's so full, it's, it's biblically based, it's biblically full. I think you will, you will love it. But the author of that book says, says this here. Uh, his name is Justin Gibney. He says, there is no single Christian policy or political plan. To act like there is one or to wish that there was one would be able to make the old mistake of thinking that the kingdom of God is like human kingdoms. The goal was not to have all Christians share the same exact politics, but to have all Christians think Christianly about politics. And that is the point, to think Christianly. And we can't think Christianly if we don't include Jesus Christ into our thinking. So now we're going to dive in and really look at what did Jesus say and do about politics and we're going to check this out and we're and we're going to do it three different ways first of all we're going to we're going to look at the political landscape at jesus's time and how he navigated it secondly we're going to look at who jesus called to follow him and thirdly we're going to uh be aware of what the devil is trying to do so at the time that jesus came on the scene even through jesus's upbringing 
and through Jesus's ministry, you can actually see the Jewish people when Jesus was Jewish lived under the oppression of Rome, right? They, but at the same time, they were called to be God's chosen people. That, that's who they knew they were supposed to be. So they had this thought process of like, we should not be living under the Roman oppression and we should be fighting and we should be trying to be God's people. But at the same time, they were small in number and there was a lot of ways that Jewish people had to live and that they had to function to, to be the people of God under the Roman oppression, right? And, and though in some ways they were free, in so many other ways they, they were not free because really what the Roman government wanted to do was to keep the peace not let them do whatever they wanted to, but to keep the peace, to keep the Pax Romana. And the Pax Romana was kind of a peace by force, right? Of basically saying, there will be peace as long as y'all don't cross us, right? Because the Roman military was so strong and so powerful. If there was any sort of uprising, then what they would do is they would go hand, handle it. They would crucify people. And crucifixion was kind of the symbol in the in the. Roman Empire of if you cross us, this will happen to you. So what the Roman, so what the Roman military would actually do is go and crucify people uh, and put it right in the town, town village in front of the whole city, the whole town, in the most populous places to let people know if you go against the Roman government, this could happen to you. And, and so, you know, so God's, so God's people, the Jewish, the, the Jewish people, they were having to figure out how are we going to operate under this oppressive regime in Rome because of who they knew they were meant to be as God's people. So what actually formed out of that, out of this trying to figuring out how to, how to navigate the political position the Jewish people held, four different, I guess you could say, political parties rose up to say this is how we're going to operate politically in the Roman, the, Roman, the Roman Empire. The first one was the Pharisees, and their solution was to keep the law perfectly. And you've probably heard about them in Scripture. Their solution was to keep the law perfectly. They wanted to make Judaism great again, right? And, and, uh, and, and they were just waiting for Rome to fall and crumble under the hand of God. So they mostly avoided civic duties for religious ones. And they kind of said, we're going to follow the law. We're going to follow the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, so well that God's going to reward us by overthrowing Rome. So they were really religious and legalistic. The second group, the Sadducees formed. And here's the thing, right? The Pharisees were the religious fundamentalists. The Sadducees were the religious liberals. They were often at odds with the Pharisees because they held a more figurative than literal interpretation of Scripture. And they coped with Rome by compromising with Rome. They sought political relevancy and equity by collecting taxes and taking part in judicial matters, but often at the cost of their personal identity and convictions. The third political party that formed was the, the Essenes. And the Essenes, they were the smallest of the four Jewish groups. And rather than battle, they went to bunker down in isolation to live a life of purity. They were isolationists who removed themselves and sought to become holy hermits. <laughs> you don't actually read about them in the Bible because, well, they go the way of many believers today who detach themselves and separate themselves from the world God called them to reach. And the fact is they became irrelevant. They were those that just said, we don't want to get involved with stuff. We're just going to get out. This is all 
crazy. The fourth group, though, that formed were the Zealots, and they were the radicalized Pharisees and red-hot patriots. They weren't going to patiently wait for Rome to fall or go. They believed God was the only right ruler of the Jews, so they believed they were doing his work by killing Roman, by killing Roman leaders and sympathizers. They were political terrorists who thought their cause was righteous. So you've got these four political groups of people that formed in response to the to the Roman to, to the Roman Empire. And when Jesus comes on the scene, what are these four groups of people trying to decipher about Jesus? What party is he going to join? What platform is he going to align with? Where is he going to go? Is he going to join the Zealots, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Pharisees? Who is he going to join with the agenda? Where did Jesus fall? But the insane thing is Jesus did not fit into any one of those areas. He didn't fit. He, he did not fit in. Why? The Pharisees. He refused to resort to all of the rule keeping. So many times the, the Pharisees bashed them. Why aren't you following this fast? Well, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? You're eating with sinners and tax collectors. Why are, why are, why are you doing that? He could not fit into the Pharisaical party. He couldn't fit into the Sadducees' party. Why? Because the Sadducees did not believe in a supernatural God. And Jesus himself was going to have a supernatural miracle of rising from the dead, so he didn't fit into their political ideology either. The Zealots, right? They were the ones, they were trying to topple the powers in place, but Jesus did not say, I'm, I came to tear down Rome. I came to build, you know, you know, you know, I came to build a physical kingdom. He said this, I came to build a kingdom in people's hearts. And the, and the way he did it was not just by overthrowing the government, but he wanted to overthrow the evil inside of people's hearts. He did not join the political zealot revolution. But at the same time, the, the Essenes, he offended them by spending time with sinners and the unclean. He did not detach himself. He didn't go out into the... the the wilderness, he willingly put himself in people's lives, into the dirt and grime of people's lives and said, I am here to be God amongst you. The truth is this, Jesus did not fit into, into a political party then. And the truth is this, he won't fit into a political party now. Why are we trying to fit Jesus into parties that he was never meant to be fit into? And y'all, and and let's just be honest, everyone's trying to make Jesus fit. If Jesus was here, he'd be a Republican. If Jesus was here, he'd be a Democrat. If Jesus was here, he'd be Libertarian. If Jesus was here, he would vote. He would and y'all, the truth is this, right? Instead of saying, how can we fit Jesus into what we want to fit him into? The point is that Jesus is not choosing a side. But the point is you can choose, is, is that you can choose one because God has given you a brain and conscience to vote. But the question should not be, is Jesus going to choose my side? The question is, are we going to choose him in his side. Are we going to choose him in his side? So there was a story that the apostle, or excuse me, that the historian Luke told about a story where Jesus encountered the Pharisees and they were trying to trap him. And they were trying to trick him and trap him. And it's found in Luke chapter 20, verse 20 through 26. It says this here, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. So what they were trying to do, right, is they were trying to trap Jesus into going to a political side. They said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Essentially, what they were saying is, should we pay taxes to the very government that enslaves us? For the very government that takes this money and puts it towards killing our people. Should we do this, Jesus? And they were trying to trap him into a side. In the same way, we do that now. We try to put Jesus in a side and trap him into a side and put people and try to trap them in, in two sides. But it said Jesus saw through their duplicity, saw through, through, their, through their hypocrisy. And he said, he said, give me the coin. Whose inscription's on that? Caesar, they said. Then give that to him. And Jesus being brilliant, he was referring to then saying, whose inscription is on you? He said, give that coin to Caesar, but then he said, give to God's what is God's. What was he saying we should give to God? Whose likeness and inscription is on people, is on you and I? God's. Genesis 2, which Jesus would definitely know, knew that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So what he was saying here is that, yo, that coin has Caesar, give to him. But at the same time, you, you have been engraved and you have been inscripted and you have the likeness of God on you. So give that to Caesar, but give yourself to God. God wants you. Molly woke up. What's up, Molly? And Molly cannot hear me at all. So Molly's just going to be here. She's, she's right down. She's right down here with me. <laughs> but the thing is, is that they could not trap Jesus into a side. So we need to stop trying to, 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 to trap Jesus into a side. Instead of asking him, what Jesus, what side are you on? We need to start asking ourselves, are we on Jesus' side? Because he wants you. Right? Because the truth is this, right? Jesus didn't come to choose a side. But the thing is this, look at who he invited to follow him. It was people from every side. Consider this, like look at who Jesus called to follow him. Among Jesus' disciples, militant zealots. There was a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. There was hardworking Jewish fishermen robbed by those same taxes. And then outside the 12, but counted among his disciples, you've got Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man with connections to the Pharisees. It's like Jesus got together a handful of protesters with a handful of blue-collar workers trying to make ends meet. A wealthy conservative CEO that votes conservatively along with a mix of others and threw them at the table. And, and listen, he didn't make them choose, choose a party or a side. He invited them to choose him. Can you just imagine what this communicated to the people around them? Like you've got this Jesus guy inviting zealots, inviting Pharisees, inviting Sadducees, inviting, like just inviting fish, like saying, hey, anyone can join this movement and follow me to where no matter what your side, your lean is, I will be the unifying factor. It was inclusive. Jesus did not close the door to people on either side. So here's the thing. If Jesus chose and had people with different political leanings following him, then why do we think it would be different now? That's something we got to ask, y'all. Something we got to wrestle with as the church. Why? Because if we don't, we will miss the movement of Jesus within our church. Where he calls people from both sides not to join a side, but to join him. 
And we see from Jesus's ministry here, he is the unifier. He is the one that brings unity. Because here's the thing, the devil's work is division. That's why I said we've got to be aware of what the devil's doing. The devil's work is division, and he's doing a great job right now working through politics. The devil is his name, and division is his game. And Jesus himself said that a house divided against itself cannot stand, and this church is struggling to stand because we are so divided because of the politics of this season. When ultimately the devil, that's what the devil wants to do is bring division. He did it, he did it from the beginning and he's doing it now. Think about it. When the devil came and sin came, it divided us from God and us from each other. And y'all, as the church, we can't be dividers. We have to be reconcilers. We have to be reconcilers. Let me share with you 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 16 through 21, it says this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone, everyone say, everyone say that, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We can see the devil's work is dividing. Jesus' work is unifying and reconciling. And we've got to say, what side of that are we going to be on? Not what side of the political spectrum we're on. What side are we going to be on? On Jesus' side of unity and reconciliation or the devil's side of dividing and here's the thing, categorizing. You can see one of the, one of, uh, the specific names given to Satan within the Bible is, is, is called the accuser of the brethren. Basically, the, the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the and that word accuser there is actually used in Revelation chapter 12. And that Greek word accuser there is the Greek word category, which is where we get the word category. Where we can actually see one of the ways that the devil divides us is by categorizing us. And some of you have experienced this. Guilty, shameful, unloved right? The devil does what first? Isolates you and then categorizes you and tries to separate you from God. Well, that same thing can be used in trying to categorize people like we do in this political time. Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, we try to categorize and the, categor and the categorization actually divides. When y'all, that is the work of the devil. The truth is this, right? Sometimes categories are good and can be used for good, but they can also be used for evil as well. And what the enemy wants to do is to take us labeling and categorizing and dividing and use it to ultimately split up the people of God that he has called us to bring unity, has called us to bring unity and reconciliation to what side are you on? What side are you promoting? Let me close. Let me close with this. I want to give you three thoughts, and then we're going to close. Give me three minutes. During, during this political season, this political climate, we got to focus on Jesus. We saw the environment Jesus came into. We saw who Jesus called. We saw what Jesus did. He reconciled. He brought unity. 
and we can see what the devil does. He brings division and categorizes. So here's the thing. As we close out today, I'm going to give you three pastoral thoughts um, to help us during this political season that, that I believe will really, really help us going forward as a church body, individually and corporately. First off, let love be the loudest. 1 Corinthians 13, you know it, right? It, it says, look, it says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. My question for you, church, is what about you is speaking the loudest in this season? If it's not love, then it's nothing. You can have the right policy, the right perspective, and say it in the wrong way, and it's wrong. He said, you could die as a martyr for Christ, but if you ain't got love, you've got nothing. I want to encourage you, church, during this time, let love be the loudest thing about you. Jesus said that people will know who my disciples are by their politics. No, by their love. Let love be the loudest. Let unity in Christ be the goal. Let unity in Christ be the goal. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, I appeal to you. And that's more like, I beg you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of Jesus to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. He said, I beg you, I plead with you on Jesus, the authority of Jesus. Let there be no divisions among you. That does not mean this, differences. There will be differences, but you can have differences without division. It's possible. He said, harmony, live in Harmony, when you have a four-part harmony whenever you're singing, what is it? Different voices working together to make one sound. And, and in the church, that is what we can have if we have Jesus at the center and realize we have been reconciled to bring reconciliation between God and between us. So we've got to see, y'all, let unity be the goal. Last, lastly, let's not destroy the work of God. This sounds funny, but check this out. Romans 14, 19. This is Paul. Again, he says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Let me tell you what the big hot button issue was back in this day. It was food. You had some people that thought you couldn't, you could eat certain foods, you couldn't eat certain foods. And people are fighting about it, dividing the church over it, hating each other, categorizing people. And Paul's like, let's not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And I believe if Paul was here today, he would be like begging and pleading with you, don't destroy the work that God wants and is trying to do or the sake of politics. Don't do it because God is trying to do something. God is wanting to reconcile the world to himself, but people will never be reconciled to God if they can't even see the people in the church can be reconciled to each other. So y'all, my encouragement, let's not destroy what God is doing, what God wants to do in relationships, what God wants to do in and through our church at the sake and at the altar of politics. I got more than I could say. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or said yes to Jesus for the first, second, or third time today, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757 
690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next steps in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 8.30 a.m. or 10.15 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to reserve your live worship service spot today.